What conditions are stipulations? Magic tricks or manipulations interjecting conversation. I don't want to talk about it. There we go. That's pretty gross. Bada bing. (laughs) Oh my God. My friend sent me this article about this is complete tangent, but I have no else. I don't think I've fully been able to communicate how much my brain is Swiss cheese at this point. Oh yeah. Ever melting Um, Swiss cheese. I have spent so much time like pantless just <laughs> listening to Trapo trap house in my kitchen like eating cheese off a cutting board dirt just bag left but i i have become a dirt bag in the truest <laughs> sense in that i like i just i'm in the dark nibbling on crackers it's, i've become a shadow of my former self girlfriend anyway, is pantless is... and panting just winnie the pooh in it in my in my kitchen <laughs> yes. listening to uh That's my to, baby. <laughs> yeah people screaming about politics and just melting into myself, just becoming a feral creature of the dark. I don't know. Anyway. Creature um, of the night. I hear you were going to say something. <laughs> oh, my friend sent me an article about um, Gaba, Gabagool, which is apparently this. It's a uh, kind of cheese, but it's it's like a super Sicilian pronunciation of it. It's a it's a super Sicilian pronunciation of Capicola. Yeah. Uh, uh, Capicola. Which is, yeah, Capicola. But they apparently in the Sopranos, yeah. like, he asked for like gabagool, which is like which is nuts because but, like, it's said in an Italian accent. Like it's not even Italian. As somebody who is Italian and speaks a limited amount of Italian, that's not even what Wait, you're Italian. Yeah, bitch. I thought you were Irish. I'm like I'm hella Irish, but there is a side of me that comes from a baby who was left on the church steps, and that's where it was like joy from Joya G O I A, and they Ellis Island. Oh, anyways, wow. But this speaking of what an origin story names is exceedingly persuasive, mm. and I'm Mackenzie Joy Brennan. <laughs> I am Brooke Rogers, and this is welcome to welcome to our podcast where where we talk about cheese. Are not, neither of us are wearing brains. Pants, that is accurate, and we are yelling at you now. <gasps> so we're just we're just finishing the loop talking to you. And in your we ear. have now been doing this for a year. This is our anniversary episode. I mean, we had a, a weird winter and spring, which I feel like is seventy percent my fault. Okay, here's actually though I've been thinking a lot about the idea of normalcy mm. because uh, obviously that that whole concept has been challenged in yeah. these in these trying times. But actually, like when was the like if you really think about it, people keep saying like, oh, I can't wait till things go back to normal, and then That's we have this true. whole conversation about the fact that normal kind of always sucked for a lot of people, and certainly and therefore twenty sixteen, I feel like we haven't. Right, but it's like, when was the last time you actually felt normal? Because I feel like I've been living in a fever dream since, like, late 2014. Well, yeah, like, what is so, the, what's normal? And Because I guess you could say normal is, like, rote. It doesn't necessarily have to be good. Right. But that it's at least predictable. Um, and now, now we just live in this, like, washing machine spin cycle of shit. That just keeps getting like tossed a random at us, generated and we're just trying to right, just sort like of they're just throwing. It's like it's like they put storms. LSD in the washing machine, and we're just tripping bad as trips. we're just only bad circulating trips. through this mm-hmm. yeah spin cycle. But 
Gotta call my That's, drug mom. You know, there is no get rid of the idea of normal. It doesn't exist. We've moved so far past that. That days. is a that is a distant memory so good in anyways. your mind. And normal sucked anyway. So huh? we're gonna try to make a better world. When you're going through um, hell, keep going. Or curl up in a ball and let is the cheese Is what Rodney Atkins said? I don't fucking I think know. It's, oh, also, mm-hmm. uh, I did spend about 24 hours straight listening to the big and rich <laughs> classic <laughs> Save a Horse Ride a Cowboy. I don't know why. Why would you do that to but yourself? It, it was stuck in my head. The only tactic I had was to just purge it, it, it by again. just listening on repeat. And you find yourself a cowboy and you ride it straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've been on repeat with the new Bright Eyes single, Mariana Trench, which is the deepest point on planet Earth, both Bright Eyes being the deepest point. Are you being a sad bitch again? Yes. Brooke, I'm doing it. Someone, <laughs> just someone come hitting check the, in. Does my, I'm your neighbor, just stop hitting it, bitch. the roof with my broom, shouting, stop being a sad bitch. Get out of the, the bright eyes, you sad real bitch. and metaphorical trench. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're gonna talk about less lighthearted things. I feel like both you and I needed, it's, it's that kind of frenzied, like, after you cry and you get some endorphins idea of, like, we both need to just be really happy right now because everything Mm. is broken, so sometimes it's really nice to just feel brighter. Just just throwing endorphin spaghetti at the wall into their brain and seeing what sticks. Do it, do it. Um, so actually the, the topic that we decided to discuss today, because it's kind of, it's relevant to the moment, but it's also, it's also something that I think we've talked about on the podcast before. It's definitely come up immunity in cases that we've Not talked about. Spoil, yeah, qualified immunity. But yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that's what it's about. The, the wondrous issue of qualified mm-hmm. immunity. Mm-hmm. It's come up, you've been seeing a lot of headlines. We've definitely talked about it before on the podcast. Yeah, I think we've. And, I don't um, know that we've talked about qualified immunity at any great length for law enforcement specifically. Um, right, it's been mentioned, but in, immunity in some cases in general, that we've yeah, yeah and the justifications absolutely. for it and where they should end and and why they're here and how we apply it. So how this how this came up is obviously in the context of police brutality cases, um, George Floyd and the the other cases that have been high profile cases in the in the uh, in the media. And in kind of the collective mind lately, it has been an issue that has repeatedly been less so, but still in the in the public eye Keep bringing over the last couple of decades. Back under the microscope when we see kind of like, what are the next steps in cases like this? And just to, to do a, a quick face value, qualified immunity is asserted in what are called 1983 cases. And that's like 42 USC section 1983 it's essentially when a state officer so in this case uh, a police officer or any law enforcement person um is facing civil liability so like a lawsuit for police brutality kind of issues or unlawful use of force and so you can see that where the person was injured the the person in question was injured uh you can see the family bringing these suits if the person has died um, and it's essentially saying you violated <clears throat> somebody's constitutional rights and right. we are owed damages for that. Uh, but it is a, it's a civil kind of remedy. Right. Any time that and constitutional rights have been violated by an agent of the state, mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, police officers, the family and or the person who was harmed can bring forward a case against them in a civil court. Yeah, so that they're and... bringing it. It's not the state. I mean, when you hear like Daniel Pantaleo being the officer in the Eric Garner case, 
there can be cases where the state, the people, can bring a criminal suit against the officer, but in terms of the actual injured person or their families as the, as the people left behind, for them to take action in a more direct against this person way, it's always going to be civil um, and thus be a lawsuit kind of scenario. And just for, for the record, um, Bivens is the case that extends a similar type thing to federal officials and civil liability for federal officials. Right. Widens that blanket. Yeah. But um, I guess to answer that kind of a, a broader question, like what is qualified immunity? Yes. Qualified immunity. So we're in one of these cases. Um, we're in one of these in, cases. In, right. In, in these cases, it functionally protects agents, um, any, any kind of government official or law enforcement agent from a lawsuit being brought forward if they violated constitutional rights, but a reasonable person would not have known. That, that's kind of the, that's a stipulation, right? We'll if a reasonable into, person, yeah. right, what exactly that means, but in the most basic basic terms, it protects police officers from being sued in civil court um, in cases where right. they unlawfully arrested someone or violated constitutional rights. So this kind of crosses into where we have talked about immunity before, because I think the one that stands out in my memory the most is executive, so the president, and how obviously that also has come up a lot. Um, you saw it with Nixon, you saw it with Clinton, and then obviously with Trump, that what are the bounds of civil versus criminal liability, things that you did while in office versus not, um, and so where we stand there is that if you're out of office, you're a lot more liable because the reason for having immunity as a protection is to kind of allow the person in question who's subject to the immunity to do their job without the distraction and the stress and the, the divided attention cost, whatever, of facing a lawsuit. So with police officers, it's, uh, I think it's, Obviously, the president of the United States has, I'm going to say, a lot more on their plate. And the argument for why you might want immunity from that distraction is stronger. Um, whereas right, but <laughs> here with, I don't know. Sorry, no, no, it's just like um, that's such a, a core tenet of the execution of their job. And I think that if the standard were clear and workable, it really would not be that huge a distraction from the execution right. of the job. And the danger is so much higher with a police officer because the, the the ways in which they may violate our rights are probably much more uh, tangible, right? You as a civilian, if your constitutional rights are violated by a police officer because he unlawfully arrested you or there was an assault or in the arrest or it wasn't, you know, you, excessive you were force hurt outside justification or killed. Kind of, yeah. Absolutely. Like if you're hurt or killed during an arrest, that is going to affect you much more on like a much more basic level than if the president of the United States, you know, does something the, 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 the ways civilly that... liable or or exactly violates the law. Yeah. In the it's it's actually interesting because I didn't know this until I started looking into qualified immunity um, for this episode, but it didn't even exist until 1967, hmm. and it was created by the Supreme Court. This this was not this is the you know conservatives which a lot um, of things are for what it's worth like constitutional interpretation right. we get the whole judicial review marbury versus madison that that's where a lot of these type fundamental issues are hashed out and i tend to think that that's better than vesting it elsewhere but yeah go on right but this is oftentimes we hear conservatives complain about legislating from the bench <laughs> and i think even that is <laughs> yeah it is so it's, it's just a weird petty thing to pick at the idea of like legislating from the bench versus because well, it's like, certainly hypocritical so many yeah um because I, right. this all really started with reagan and and robert bork 
that appointment being the the quintessential political appointment, which was so political that it didn't go through, but it set a precedent for how political we're allowed to be. And I, the the term of art, if you will, is is judicial activism, which is kind of like we have a right. an end goal. But um, boy, to act like that doesn't fall on both sides to be yeah. charitable. Also, also to pretend that the Supreme Court's apolitical. You yeah. Know, like, the, like, we we pretend that it is. We tried I mean, uh, we, really hard for a long time. We're still trying. And I think when I say, like, it's best that it falls there, it's because of the branches. You look at, oh, and we should talk about this at some point, maybe next episode when we can delve into it more. But the two somewhat surprising cases from this last week, which were the, the DACA decision and the uh, Title Seven protections of the Civil Rights Act being extended to LGBTQ people, um, that at least you do see some line crossing, you have multiple people, you have an illusion of neutrality, um, and you're bound by precedent in a very clear textual way. So Right. And and in the, but in this case specifically, in, in this yeah. 1967 case where qualified immunity was established um, as a stand as a precedent to be used in, in further cases, uh, it was actually a civil rights case. So two clergymen um, used a segregated bathroom that was a whites only bathroom. They were arrested for it in 1961. It was Pearson v. Ray, and it was decided in 1967. And in the in this case, the court decided that um, if the police officers were held personally liable for violating constitutional rights of these clergymen. They would be fearful of doing, quote unquote, doing their job in the future because they would be fearful of lawsuits. Now, I would argue that that fear is actually a healthy right. thing. That in the in the course of enforcing the law, a law enforcement officer should follow the law, should understand and know what that law is, and should be afraid of being sued. Because just that sued. will make it's them not think even, through their questions. Like, they don't right, even necessarily a, need to be fired to be held because, responsible for damages. Exactly. And again, we're not even talking about a criminal case. No. Qualified immunity does not apply to criminal cases. But, and this is what's, why this is so important, the, uh, the Mapping Police Violence Group uh, collected data on police shootings. And in 2017, 1,147 people were killed by officers. And officers were charged with a crime in only 13 mm. of those cases, or about 1%. I'm reading from a New York Times article here. Mm. But officers are criminally charged so little. Yeah. They, they they are very, very, very rare. I mean, 1% of the time, they are charged criminally in cases where people are killed. And those are separate killed, Not even lawfully yeah, arrested. Yeah, exactly. Or, or beat not up. Not even hurt. Or, yeah their property taken. So the only <clears throat> course of action that families have or people who are harmed have are is, is going through the civil court. So an argument that you hear a lot for qualified immunity in these circumstances is, well, <laughs> like, how do we know what's constitutional or not in the execution of our job? Um, and I feel like, first of all, if that's a question that you have to ask in such a black and white way in such a like that the repercussions of, of that would be so heavy that it, it is a policy concern in and of itself the problem is not the fact that people are being held responsible for violating the constitution it's the fact that it is so unclear to police officers what is unconstitutional which again like you and i talked in our last episode about the relatively slim training especially in terms of, right. of the laws that they are enforcing that a lot of law enforcement officers uh, are given. But then the next thing being, you look at the cases where this comes up, 
And it's not that hard a line. Even the the fact that you're citing two cases where people were killed, um, boy, it seems like (laughs) it's pretty clear when you're taking somebody's life that you should be considering the Constitution. And and that's a a balancing act that if you can do nothing else as a police officer, that's your that should be your priority. That's the one. No, absolutely. And talking about so there's the 1983 case, there's also the 87 case, uh, Anderson v. Creighton, where um, the qualified immunity rule was basically reaffirmed and it stated that an official was protected by qualified immunity um, and only liable for civil liability um, if violates clear, quote unquote, clearly established the law. So let's backtrack a little bit on the case law there. So um, Pearson versus Ray is the one that you're talking about, and that introduced the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, the concept versus its application are two different things. It's just it's interesting that it all came up in '67 in the case that you were that you were referencing, because um, you think about where our country was in like '67, '68. It was a crazy time. You had, um, boy, in the span of the years on either side, you had Bobby Kennedy's assassination, MLK's assassination, mm-hmm. the Democratic National Convention. Yeah. Riots. So it was it was an analogous time in terms of racial tensions and police tensions, uh, which obviously have persisted before and since. But um, it's just interesting that that's when this was introduced in a formalized way. Yeah, it, the arrest occurred in sixty one. It was introduced well, then you in sixty seven, and then it was in that right ballpark. So yeah, it, same deal. I would say reaffirmed that whole... in the eighties. But it was just like the fact that all this was going on, and well, all of these where these cases are being decided. I mean, seventies and eighties were a huge time for really big liberation movements. Sure, the pendulum that, kind know, of swinging back. Right, FALN and these radical groups that were still fight, kind of post civil rights fighting for mm-hmm. liberation and and Black Panthers and things like yeah. that. That was all going on while these cases were being decided as well. So they did have very real actual applications in the daily lives of Americans while while all this was happening. Yeah, so you had mentioned the the police officers being subject to immunity, so so not subject to liability, unless they violate a clearly established law, and that's the standard that we have now, um, which is a very high standard. It it allows immunity in a lot of cases. So Harlow versus Fitzgerald got rid of a previous standard of applying immunity that was subjective good faith. So that gave less immunity to police officers because the courts would look at subjective factors about if the officer was was acting in good faith. And it is easier to see an officer not acting in good faith than it is to see that they are objectively violating a a clearly established law that's on the books. Good faith was at least it gave the courts some leniency with, with interpreting, like, wow, this guy is clearly angry. I mean, you... For example, let's take the George Floyd case and apply both standards hypothetically to whether or not that officer would be immune under, again, like different facts in terms of how the court cases have gone and will go. But if you're looking at whether they should have immunity, the officer, based on a subjective good faith standard, it's so easy to me to see that they were acting in bad faith. Because right. it, I mean, subjectively, you look at the face, you look at the video, and we get back to videos being so important. The fact that, absolutely, the fact that there were bystanders screaming, get sure. off his neck, he's And the, the he's time dying, yeah. elapsed for so long. But then when you get into clearly established law as the line for whether or not they have immunity, you get immunity a lot more easily because 
the likelihood of finding a clearly established law that's on the books that says don't do this stress position for this length of time under these yep. circumstances. And you can really get into hair splitting about like, well... Because that's really the standard. The standard is so specific. Is. And there was... A, yeah. Because of, because of all these reiterations right. that we've seen through the appeals. Exactly. And so then the other thing that, that shaved away even further at the circumstances where you wouldn't automatically have immunity was this uh, case called Pearson versus Callahan. Another Pearson. But... Um, Interesting. So these are all Supreme Court cases, by the way. So it's it, this applies to everybody. In Pearson versus Callahan... Police officers can get qualified immunity based, again, on the clearly established standard, but there used to be a way of applying the clearly established standard that was a two-prong test. And first, the courts looked at if there was a constitutional violation. And in doing that, they kind of established new precedent so that in future it's like, well, there actually is a clearly established law because the court said that there was a constitutional violation in a very similar case. You're, you're expanding the body of established laws. Yeah. Um, but then after Pearson versus Callahan, it's no longer a two-prong analysis. It's just the clearly established law piece. So we're not creating new circumstances to clarify what is otherwise a pretty narrow body of law. And it, it kind of creates a catch-22 because it's like, well, we can't establish right. precedent without establishing precedent, but we need precedent to have a clearly established law. So uh, that has and further narrowed the, the lens there. What that functionally means for families of or, or the people themselves right. who are trying to bring these lawsuits forward is that they have to go back and find a, a case that was decided in the favor of the person bringing the suit that that specifically lists exactly what happened to them in their case. And there's a good example of this. Um, Orion DeNevers wrote a, an article for the National Law Journal where he is talking about why we need to either get rid of or severely limit qualified mm -hmm. immunity. And he lists this example of earlier in 2020, um, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit granted qualified immunity to a prison guard. Um, it said he pepper sprayed an inmate in his cell for no reason. Uh, the, the court determined it was unconstitutional use of excessive force, but then it was trying to find prior cases to determine whether the guard's actions violated quote-unquote clearly established law. Uh, I'm reading straight from the article now. It says, it noted cases establishing that punching an inmate for no reason, hitting an inmate with a baton for no reason, and tasing an inmate for no reason violate clearly established law. But it then concluded that these precedents did not clearly establish that using pepper spray that on an inmate for no weapon. reason violates the Constitution. So although the guard violated the inmate's constitutional rights, I'm, again, reading straight from the article here, so I'll link it mm -hmm. in the... In the description, but uh, the the guard was immune from the inmate section 1983 suit. So, so again, this yeah, is like... and then this is another thing that has made it even more difficult: the fact that now, when they apply clearly established to what class of officers would know, um, it used to be any officer, and now it has to be clearly established according to every officer. So it's kind of sweeping up the lowest common denominator, which means that every officer, even those who are more envelope pushing, more violent, uh, less educated on the law. It has to be so clearly established that even that bottom, thus so every just, officer would know. We're just lowering the standard. Yes. The standard yeah. is just beneath the floor right yeah. now for what, what constitutes like cops' reasonable knowledge of the law. And again, this like we said before, this goes back to the fact that you had to go to school for seven years to fully understand and apply the law. And apply it in a way and that's not physically 
damaging. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, you're applying the law. It, 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 you're applying the, the 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 law in a more abstract way. A police officer is physically applying the law. Yeah, with no every checks time on them. they leave. And I don't get qualified immunity for what it's worth. Like as somebody who does my well, lower so, stakes, you, higher training job, um, I don't get that. You're not allowed to pepper spray any any inmates. I'm sorry. That's fine. I'm, sorry. I, will... I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay. I think I can walk that line. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, so it's a mess. Um, last week, I believe it was, the Supreme Court, even in the wake of and in the midst of all these protests and, and the conversations that are being renewed about qualified immunity, uh, did not grant cert. So a writ of certiorari is... The, the fancy way of saying, is the Supreme Court going to hear a case that could mean reevaluating this rule? Um, which they established. So, like, they kind of, they created the monster. Right. Um, the, but they refused to fix to the problem cert. now. They refused yes. to go back and clean up their mess of this, this decades-long... Didn't Thomas, mm. in that case, he actually said, he not like only to. should qualified... Should you bring this case again, but you should challenge qualified immunity harder like thomas is actually it's against the idea of qualified immunity. yeah because um i don't know how much i've i've talked about thomas sorry if you hear some bangs the fireworks are going off here We're, the fireworks they're are always, always going off. i know uh, they're gonna start in my neighborhood in probably half an Constant hour bin. yeah well we will get into the fireworks right. oh my god but i have a, i oh, have a brother. link chart conspiracy board the length of my bedroom wall i'm just like smoking a cigarette constantly and like again pantless obviously just putting putting strings together who's <laughs> supplying the fireworks and like look there might be ridiculous. some legitimacy to it i you know uh, whatever you're talking to me you're talking to me I, you're talking to me of course there's literally i am the one over here like Pepe Silva in. Oh, I know. I'm saying there might be some legitimacy shit. to it, but like, put your pants on. I mean, don't put your pants on, but put your pants on Never. metaphorically. <laughs> Only metaphorically. But uh, so, Clarence Thomas, um, I have many opinions on him, some of which are not restricted to the Anita Hill thing, who has put this pubic hair on my coke. We'll get into that at a later date. Yeah. In any event, as a justice, I think that he tends to be. Um, it seems really akin to girls who are like, I'm not like other girls, kind of crony conservative black American, which is, is hard to come by in general. And it's the, it's the fact that he was appointed to replace Thurgood Marshall, who was a more liberal justice, unsurprisingly, but was the first black Supreme Court justice. But when that seat was vacated, it was vacated under George H.W. Bush, so a conservative president. And they're like, well, let's find a, a black justice to fill that vacancy but uh clarence thomas has been very anti-affirmative action anti a lot of things that would usually be assumed to benefit the black community and other minority communities but he kind of makes a justification like well if we set a precedent that people in minority groups need help um it's doing us a disservice, but then it's it's such an easy, to my mind, it's such an easy, like, equality versus equity thing. It's like, well, but we right. put them in a place that they start so far below, so it's just kind of leveling the playing field. But, uh, so it's surprising to me that on such a, it's almost like he sees it for the first time, because it's so, I'm yeah, sure as a black man, it's hard not to see how it could affect him, specifically. Well, it's also just such a, honestly, it, it places government officials and police officers on a higher tier of protection than the rest of... But it, a lower it, standard I, of knowing what's wrong. 
a lower standard of knowing what's wrong, which means that regular you and I, regular yes. civilians, people who are walking are the streets who are supposed to be protected by these people are more accountable and are held to a higher standard. Which is nuts. When going about their daily and lives. And you think of the policy justification for it of like, hope they can do their jobs. If the job is so important and the execution thereof is so important, then let's make that paramount across the board. And when they do that poorly, right. then, you know, have it a similarly and high bar. People who, so this case, uh, Justin Amash and mm. Ayanna Presley, um, former Republican, went independent and a Democratic representative, they brought um, the Ending Qualified Immunity Act before the House, um, which basically yeah, does what exactly what it says. It ends qualified immunity. Yeah, so it's going to um, go to Congress because the court has not, at least in this term, has not elected to rehear any issue. And and to be fair, I will say this for the court. Um, obviously, it's not a unanimous decision granting cert. Um, also, granting cert is often not done for a lot of reasons, whether it be that this is not a great test case. Maybe there's something a little ambiguous about the facts that they don't want this to be the one that has such a sweeping impact because it isn't so easy to say yes or no, if that makes sense. So but they, they just decided not to hear these cases. This they particular case, this term was not for whatever. I mean, I disagree with the the outcome of, of the cert decision, but I'm just saying in general, it's a harder answer than like, oh God, well, they definitely should have done it right now in this circumstance because I, I don't know. But um, right. because the court's not going to hear it this term, now Congress needs to do something because it's it's not going to happen judicially. It needs to happen legislatively. And that's where this bill comes in. That's where the the Amesh Presley bill is being considered. There's also, there's another uh, police kind of like, it's very squishy mm -hmm police reform bill that doesn't mention qualified immunity that was brought forth by the Republicans. There was another bill that was brought forth by Democrats that uh, works to end qualified immunity. But Senator Tim Scott said that ending qualified immunity was a poison pill in any police reform bill and that right. uh, it would not pass the Senate. Right. Basically, he said that it was a non-starter because they, 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 are not go they don't want to hold police to, a, to the standard the rest of us are being held. They don't want to take that protection away. And what kind of blows my mind about that line of defense, this idea that, you know, because the, the whole critique of ending qualified immunity is, oh, well, again, like we said before, the police won't be able to do their jobs and they won't be able to make it. split second decisions, which they shouldn't to be murder. making. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they should be actually thinking through these decisions before they make them. Um, but it was kind of mind blowing about that is, again, this this rule was invented right. out of thin out of thin air and relatively recently by the Supreme Court in 1967, which means up until 1967, police were able to do their jobs and function Crazy. and do just, you know, not even, and they were, and they, they still weren't even like being charged at the rates they should have. You know, each of these like ratcheting up of the, the standard to meet before it was clearly established law, we're getting even further into recent history or closer into recent history. And it's like, well, before that, we still were able to hold them. Because I, I understand that in a bipartisan sense, that sometimes you have to have compromise as the end goal, that maybe we're not going to get rid of it once and for all, if we have a house that is divided, um, partisan-wise, but we could at least make it clearer that the standard should be subjective or that, you know, enumerating is never good. The circumstances, it never is going to help in these type of situations. But 
make it a little bit better. God, remember for like two seconds in the beginning of Trump's term when uh, criminal justice reform was bipartisan? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Kim Kardashian kept getting invited to the White House and she was like, what if you let these women who have been in prison for way longer than anyone should be in prison for the things they've done, what if you let them out of prison? And he was like, yeah, okay, you're, I, you are nice to me and you're pretty. I'll sign these things. Like in a TV way. Truly. Again, like come with me. Change my view of Kim Kardashian forever. Good for her. But yeah, for a while, criminal justice reform was like the thing that I remember even it was, it was kind of a talking point for a while last year among Republicans that, like, Trump was the criminal justice reform president. Now we have the humanitarian um, thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but it's also, I mean, the idea that Trump was going to ever curb police power, if that was if that was in anyone's oh, mind, yeah. has obviously been squashed just, out by the fact that he threatened to call the military down on peaceful protesters in D.C. and New York City and Seattle. Um, but I think that the way we should be looking at this is that, repeatedly the supreme court and the and government government representatives by nature of them not doing anything about it have repeatedly told us we are going to hold police to the lowest possible standard and when they keep hurting you and they keep killing you and they keep violating your constitutional rights we're not only not going to do anything about it, we are going to actively protect yes. them from your only <laughs> venue of seeking justice, which is through the civil courts, because the criminal courts are not going to do anything for you. And we've proven that by the fact that we're not only not going to charge police officers, but then when they actually, the, the, the 1% of cases where they're charged, they aren't even all the time, they're not even all the time like found guilty. Or, or found you know, they're, yeah. yeah. There are so often cases where they are charged and then juries do not convict police officers. We've learned this. I mean, let alone them even getting fired, such... for God's sake. Like, <laughs> Right. I mean, we're just... just you get, like, paid time to off. To update everyone on the Breonna Taylor case, yeah. which we talked about last week, um, it's something like 130 days since her, her killing and um, one officer was fired. That one officer, by the way, who was fired, also had two credible sexual assault accusations against him as well from women who came forward and had very similar stories about him telling them that he would give them rides in his car and then sexually assaulting them. So this officer, who was finally let go after the police unions protected him, and he was finally, the investigation ended, and one officer out of these three officers was finally let go, and he also had sexual assault accusations against him. So repeatedly, the government... Our representatives, the Supreme Court, have told us we are not going to protect you from police abuse, mm-hmm. and we're going to actively protect them. Yeah, and, and, and this if- is where you kind of see all these different legislative and judicial and, and application thereof pieces coming together. Because in uh, in New York State, for example, we just got rid of the law that was protecting past police complaint records, and it's thanks to activism from mm-hmm. people in these protests and and coming out of the same movement, but we used to have a statute on the books that protected those kind of indefinitely, but it now came out that, oh boy, was it, I think it might have been Daniel Pantaleo, the Eric Garner officer who who put him in the fatal chokehold, um, that he had been employed for something like seven years on the police force, and it was, there were three or four violent complaints uh, such that they fell like, every two years and now for whatever reason they're not substantiated which means in in a legal or formal procedural sense that there wasn't enough evidence but we know how that goes but this is kind of how you see them locked together that 
these uh, suppression of records laws play well with the, should they face this kind of repercussion? And then the other kind of civil repercussion is fettered by this thing. So it comes together to be this very, very police friendly, but but not even good police friendly, perfect storm sort of thing. Absolutely. And it's, it's that, and there's also this, even with all of this protection, even with qual- the, the protection of qualified immunity. Of officers, right. Of officers. Police departments spend millions of dollars. <laughs> big police departments spend millions of dollars on settlements every year. Uh, in 2018, New York City spent $230 million on settlements against the NYPD. So we're still transgressing all over the place with civil right, so liability. Even with yeah. all of these protections, even with, even with this on the ground low standard for civil cases we're still spending hundreds of millions of dollars in new york city alone so there's a training problem settling cases and then if it really is i mean it kind of begs the question if it's such a distraction from the execution of their job um it's happening right now and it seems like they're living it up so which is it the again the idea that police officers will not be able to do their job if they fear repercussions for their actions, civil repercussions for their actions. If police fear consequences for their actions, they will not be able to do their jobs. That is what the problem the, with the police. Kaylee McKenney, the the White House press secretary, and every police union head, and every every representative, every congressman who tells you, well, it'll prevent the police from being able to do their jobs if we end qualified immunity, is telling you if the police fear consequence for their actions, financial consequence for their actions, they will not be able to do their job. So ask nuts. yourself why that is. Yeah, it's yeah. nuts. Like, think we'll track this as the bills progress. Um, and yeah, obviously have just with this this court term, um, I do want to return maybe next episode to other things that have come out of, of the decisions from mm-hmm. this term and decisions to grant cert or not for upcoming stuff. Uh, it's it's that time of year. Speaking of, of weird judiciary, well, not quite pseudo-judiciary things. Do we want to uh, just quickly... Yeah, let's touch on this Jeffrey Berman Barr situation. Mackenzie, do you want to lay out what, what happened this last well, week? Well, why don't you lay out the facts, because then I'll get into the facts of the nonsense minutiae, such as it is. I think it got a little bit calmer and just sadder, but... I'll tap into my pushing, pushing daisies. <gasps> Please do! The facts were these. Jeffrey Berman was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. If you are a long-time listener or even short-time yeah. listener, the Southern District of New York comes up all the time. It's Manhattan. Uh, it's Manhattan. They bring cases, high-profile cases, all the time. It's federal also, um, so it's federal Manhattan-based anything. Which covers, a, it turns out it covers a lot. But I'll just say by means of context with the SDNY as a reminder, so... Yeah, SDNY is any federal question or um, multi-state types of cases that arise in Manhattan. And then Eastern District of New York, you hear sometimes also, I work for the Eastern District of New York, and that's Brooklyn and Queens. But it's like, that's the less known little brother to the very popular quarterback that is SDNY. And so if you're familiar with Preet Bharara, which God knows I am, I love him, uh, he also has a podcast called Stay Tuned with Preet. Another one behind Mackenzie Simps for Preet Bharara. Hell yeah. And he spoke at my law school graduation. No big deal. We didn't kiss, but it's okay. I'll come to terms with it one day. I'm not even attracted to him. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm conflating admiration with love again. But uh, 
<laughs> but so Ooh, pre I know wah, wah, that one was real. Um, so pre Barara was the former a couple times over or at least once over um, head of the the SDNY and Trump summarily fired him really for no reason when he was just i want you all to know if you are if you are a new yorker mm-hmm. and you hate bill de blasio Ooh. i want you to know that so Bahara and the sdny was like mm. this close to indicting de blasio in cor- at a corruption scandal in a huge corruption scandal and right and then he was and then trump removed him and it disappeared it was like a side effect and it's because like, god knows trump and de blasio aren't friends um i don't know it wasn't like it wasn't like trump removed Pripahara because he wanted to protect de blasio trump removed Pripahara because when he first came into office there was kind of a clean sweep of all of these age well, state AGs was, and Pripahara got caught up in the in the mess of but that. it also was unprecedented i mean it was allowed but it was unprecedented in the sense of there was no reason, for better or worse, sometimes you see that, like, somebody is approaching Trump or one of his cronies, and so it conveniently becomes the time when someone is discharged. But um, it was almost offensive in the other direction in that Preparara was a, similar to so many people that Trump discharges, like, a lifetime civil servant, somebody who's doing his job well, that typically... Oh, I'm sorry. Do you mean the deep state? Yeah, exactly. Are you talking mm-hmm. about the deep state, The deep McKenzie? state of SDNY. Yeah. <laughs> Sad Manhattan nerds. Uh, but <laughs> so just, like, nerds. why pick that battle? There was no reason yeah. for Trump to do that. And it, it really is unprecedented. Like, there's uh, presidents don't start fires right off the bat with people who are doing their job and doing it well in such an inane way just so that they can have some sort of pseudo law enforcement official on their side in a prominent I mean, if district. You, you know what? If you come out guns blazing, that's how you make America great again. You and just, it is now. Pew, pew, pew. Look at us. We're great. Look at us now. Mm. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so Je- uh, Jeffrey Berman was, yeah, the, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Um, in a letter on Saturday, uh, Attorney General Bill Barr frequent character, reoccurring character on our show, and unfortunately in our lives. U.S. Attorney General, um, so we'll just clarify. U.S. Just... Federal Attorney General Bill Barr announced um, that Berman was resigning. Yeah. So he kind He's of, like, oh, it's on, great. Fr- on Friday he suggested, he was like, oh, Berman is resigning. And we're, re- we're and appointing then, this new guy. Berman came out and was like, eh? I that's news to me. Um, I'm not doing that. I'm not resigning because there are lots of ca- ongoing cases right well, so now it's not that my I choice. would like to see play out. Bill Barr like threw him out of the party and was like, "No, actually, if you're not going to leave quietly, we tried to I'm make it a non-issue." He's like, he both very unprofessionally and dramatically, but trying to maintain the illusion of professional non-dramatic, which like. Yeah. Oh my god, who didn't see this coming? Barr is so weird in terms of power moves, but poor foresight, because he also put out that release of the a summary of the Mueller report that was like, well, nothing in there that implicates any wrongdoing, which was often quoted, but it's like, dude, man, no. But yeah, so he essentially, imagine anybody who, like, has literally any job, or has had a job, and somebody is like, do you have a job or have had a job? Imagine yourself. Call a lawyer. <laughs> Call you uh, you might have a case, but if if your employer put out 
some sort of public statement or send out an email to the whole company that's like, we're uh, sad to see so sad to you see go. go. Mackenzie Brennan is resigning. She will be missed. Um, and she's being replaced by this guy who has no litigation experience, by the way. Um, former head of the, the SEC, the, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is also doubly weird because Barr was like w- wanting Berman to essentially swap jobs. Well, that, that is no longer happening, right? Because the, the reason initially why Berman his, cho- yeah. initially Barr said he was going to replace Berman. So he's just with- like swapping out some super sympathetic guy for somebody who was already a Trump appointee. So Berman was appointed by Trump because it was after pre-Barrara left. Um, so in theory, this is their person, except we just keep getting into new tiers of like, well, this person still has too many scruples left. Let's uh, Let's go for the next tier down. Um, right, and just to give some context yeah. to all of this, Berman, uh, Berman issued a grand jury indictment against Lev Parnes and Igor Fruman, Ooh, if you remember. Uh, Parnes and Fruman are the two um, Ukrainian goons. goons. <laughs> the two, like, truly just chain-wearing watch, like, double watch, just yes. cigar-smoking goons who helped Giuliani um, and were involved in the the Ukraine kerfluffle (laughs) that that so engulfed our public public concentration last year until remember how cute we were when we thought Ukraine was the big thing we thought an impeachment of the president and like confirmed foreign interference and solicitation thereof that's so cute Anyway, but yeah. so he, there, he brought the grand indictment against Lev Parnes and Igor Fruman. He also was investigating our sweatless wonder, Prince Andrew, in the Epstein case. He's actually, like, in the middle of investigating yeah. his ties And to so Epstein, we won't really is... know what they're investigating. Into... We may never know because, it, like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously, Berman's Again. not going to talk about it now. So I I just I just point I just like wave my hand like Vanna White to reveal my giant conspiracy board and I just put a push another pin into my conspiracy board that's just like ongoing of hands and hand waving. Have you seen Prince Andrew's hands? No, that's Prince Charles. I think of Prince Charles' oh, weird sausage fingers. I was thinking about still... that because wasn't there something with Prince Andrew and like I saw that photo and and it was photoshopped because my hands are far fitter. Okay, now I just you're like right. There, so okay, so actually, I'm, I'm thrilled that you brought this oh, up good. because it is something we need to discuss in the show. If you remember a few episodes ago, we talked about the fact that um, Prince Andrew said that a long ass time ago. Bro. Sorry, quote unquote friends, uh, anonymous friends of Prince Andrew. It was <laughs> it was Prince <laughs> Andrew. Um, he like I don't I don't know this for sure. I'm guessing, but I think it was Prince. He was like, yeah, um, there's no way that it could have been Prince Andrew in the photo with the the woman who the underage accuser Jeffries, of both of them who accused Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein of assault. They said it was there's no way that it could have been him in the photograph. His fingers are much chubbier. Yes. <laughs> So they must run in the family. <laughs> but here's the thing. So I, I laughed at the time. I laughed at this this accusation that I Prince mean. Andrew has <laughs> absurdly chubby fingers. It still is him in the photo, by oh, the way. 100%. But it, I just thought, maybe well, he what just a weird thing to say. Right? Down like, his fingers. Who knows? What a strange thing. What a strange defense of this man that he has uh, chubbier fingers than the person in the photo. And then this photo started circulating of Prince Charles with like his hands in front of him. And these these big boys on his like his digits, They're man, his fingers Does he have gout? are 
I, or like cellulitis or like there's something wrong. His, 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 his every finger trudging. is like, it, it looks like a, a character on The Sopranos. <laughs> like that's literally what ah, his, each fired. one of his fingers look like. <laughs> it's just, I don't know how else to put that, but like this man, the man has just Google it. It's so weird. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyways, I mean like, that. yeah. So we'll never fully know what Berman was investigating, or even if that was the catalyst. Obviously, it's close to the election, and that could be the catalyst all by itself. Um, But Berman can't say what he was investigating, because it's in progress. It's there were so many now. cases. It was it was love. It was he indicted Love Parnas and Igor Fruman. He was the one who was looking to Michael Cohen. Audrey Strauss is the, the reason right. why he finally decided to step down was Audrey Strauss, who was basically his his direct. Um, it's direct his deputy underway. assistant, Kyle, like <laughs> his right, right. So essentially, his initial announcement in response to Barr's was another public statement that essentially I think, like Brooke summarized, was was like, um, <laughs> what? No, um, I. I'm not resigning, and I plan to see the investigations that I'm in the process of through, and I won't be leaving unless uh, a replacement is Senate confirmed. And that's that's kind of this messy constitutional plus statutory plus weird executive power thing of, like, you can appoint, the president can appoint somebody for something like 120 days to be an acting something or other, and then can appoint a new one, but if they're, if they're like a permanent appointment, and the last permanent appointment was pre um, so obviously not a Trump appointment, uh, then right. that has to go through Senate approval. It's just this big mess of, of how we do things procedurally, but it was essentially his way of saying, like, make me. Um, yeah. And so then once Barr responded to that and was like, oh my, very unprofessional. It's like, you started this. Right. It's a basis that he just expected him to just be like, t- oh, yeah, say, yeah, okay, right. sure, and step down yeah, I did this. quietly. <laughs> Why would he expect him to work with? Why would he? Why would Barr expect Berman to work with him at that point? Right. Like, what is what is Berman gaining from working from going quietly? And also the idiocy. Like, it's it's remarkable from Barr and the like. The weird optics of it. It's just, it's a, such a weird bouquet. But um, and you're consistent. right. It's like I think what what what's kind of mind blowing about this is it's like what what was he about to find out? Was it involved in the Epstein case? Was it involved in one of the cases with a Giuliani associate? Was it involved in Michael Cohen's case? Was it something completely different? Like, he was obviously going somewhere the Trump administration didn't like. So where was that? And why was he, why was he just, like, ceremoniously cast out? Well, and the guy that they, they had initially nominated to be his replacement, who obviously was dead in the water once he's put on this, like, ceremonial pyre of, we're putting this guy in. Um, Yeah. He also had ties to Deutsche Bank, which is, like, where all Trump's assets are held, I think. Um, And he had no litigation experience. So that is, like... Same. It's just such a ham-fisted attempt at corruption. It's it's remarkable. Like, let's, let's try him out in the... the... arguably the most significant federal district in the country the most i mean you look at the cases that have come up before the sdny and make him the head of that even though he has no experience even in like a a county court and (laughs) arguably like arguably the most high profile cases that we that that the average american might know about the sdny baby like this at least in the last couple of years even above the supreme court in terms of of like significance in media sometimes i think it really underscores like it's amazing because 
the, the Trump administration just can't do this with finesse, right? They can't they just, don't they can't, to, like, pull this guy aside and say, like, oh, you're going to resign and this is what... Like, you Saturday know, just, they massacre have nothing. correctly. Right, yeah. they can't... They, it's like they, they're trying to be Nixon and they can't They can't even muster <laughs> Nixon, just, yeah. And yet, somehow, it's, it's working for them because, um, well, it's it's working it's out not. now, but... We'll see yeah, so now his, point, yeah, his Audrey something or other is filling in for now. Audrey Strauss. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny because in, in bars, like, I am appalled by the lack of professionalism in the public statement issued by Jeffrey Berman. He's also, he also retreated on everything that he was so gung-ho about, which was that it was acceptable to add this new SEC guy. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it, it was almost in and of itself at the same time an admission of impropriety uh, and that they don't have any leverage right yeah, i think it's an admission yeah. that they just don't have oh, leverage fuck, in this case they, they just when didn't we did expect a public to statement back. i guess you caught us there yeah absolutely it's such a maybe weird, they thought anyway, they could so... pull it over because of the covid stuff because honestly when i first saw some of the tweets from people in the new york legal community coming out about this i was like this is gonna this is so nuanced and so small potatoes that it's gonna get lost um so i'm glad it didn't but i wonder if that's what they were banking on yeah that just with everything yeah. else going on they would be able to like slip like, it yeah. under and no one and that just, berman like, would be like the darkness right? of night yeah, it's but it, it it's such a it's such a weird shady move. Trump tried to say this like not my circus, not my monkeys thing, oh, where he was like, isn't that the cutest? He was like Trump, right? Like I honestly, his his polling numbers are going down day by day, right? No one's really no one's happy. The economy sucks. Everyone's just like losing their shit. Like, who These had pandemic as the silver bullet? I I mean I don't want to speak too soon. I don't even want to. Yeah, knock on pseudo jinx it, but like. like Huh. <laughs> I mean, the economy was always his goal. That was, it. Goose that was the one egg, thing he had right? to offer, and that's what the economy cared about. was. Jobs numbers and unempl- low unemployment numbers were were what he had to go into that was this it. election. Yeah, with. and that I think is the that hat on it. which a lot of people who don't care about civil rights and other stuff, it's like, but how am I literally? affected i mean obviously. it's the james carvel it's the economy stupid mm-hmm, line right mm-hmm. it's like that truly is the, what elections are often won or lost on and so but yeah so i mean we can navigate off of the bar thing for now um yeah there's actually we're, we're we want to wrap this up but we wanted to get to a couple things that we would be um remiss not to not to mention um or at least first mention of all, that we're gonna circle back to them yeah yeah the first thing is um after we recorded our last episode like a couple days after we recorded our last episode were two trans black women were murdered the body of dominique remy fells was found in pennsylvania on june 8th um raya milton was killed in what police think was a robbery in ohio on june 9th uh in both cases suspects have been arrested um but i think that it does underscore the fact that some attention was brought to these two cases, but um, and the fact that they're so didn't... like close in succession to one another, it makes you wonder what you're missing. One day of. apart, yeah. yeah. And um, just two more horrifying cases of brutality against Black women, especially trans Black women. Mm-hmm. Um, these cases never get as much attention as cases of cis people, or or if 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 these were white women, there would be. A national response and the to this, support um, especially. Are so minor. 
Absolutely. Especially in the case of um, Dominique Fells, her body was actually uh, desecrated. It's a horrifying case that, again, would just get so much more attention if our society gave <laughs> um, gave these cases the the attention that, that they should get. And the get. humanity to the mm-hmm. victims. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, de- they deserve so much more dignity than what they've been given. So um, the other case that we would like to speak about in the future mm-hmm. a little more, Elijah McClain was a 23-year-old black man who was killed in Aurora last year. Oh, God. This His is- case got almost no attention um, until the Black Lives Matter movement in response to George Floyd started circulating his story a little bit more. Um, I grew up in China, Wyoming. That's just a few hours from Aurora. Elijah McLean was my age. You, you shouldn't have to have a personal connection to see right. these people for the humans that they were. But it really did hit me that, like, this this man could have been someone that I knew growing up. I could have met him. He was, again, raised just a few hours from me. He was my age. and He seems like someone I would have been friends with. And, it, like, he used to play his violin for foster cats and for shelter cats. And, um, just uh, like... Oh my god! An absolute it's sweetheart by all accounts, and just a a, a huge and almost a, a loss. Uh, yeah, I saw the text of his final words, and oh my yeah. god! Um, oh no, it's 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 gutting to read his final words, and he's that, gone. Now. And that lovely human being is is gone now, and what that must mean to his family and friends, generations and generations of community. lost potential in all these people, and <laughs> absolutely, just what they could have, what they could have done, what they did, what they did do for the world and their communities, and what they could have done, it's, it's heartbreaking, yeah, and to and, bookend and... it with, with then the consequences that those who get to, not to sound harsh, but get to remain on this planet yeah. unchallenged, um, but not even with financial repercussions, right, there was no no one was really held accountable in Elijah McLean's case. Nine one one was called because someone saw him, quote unquote. F- he 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 was wearing a ski mask because he was an, he's anemic. It gets very cold in Colorado, and he's anemic, and he was wearing it to warm his face. And he was buying tea from his local convenience store. Mm-hmm. And then um, apparently his friends say that he was probably dancing, which is something he did. But uh, someone called the po- called the police because he was quote unquote flailing his arms in dancing. a suspicious way and walking down the street. And, and this is when you think about like. So defund and that meaning in practical application, having different kinds of resources funded, like social workers, right. to respond to certain defund kinds of calls. So if it's like to refund social, if programs, you thought that yeah. this was a mental health sort of call or a public intoxication, like worst case scenario, if we're gonna yeah. give benefit of the doubt to the caller, um, yeah, which I don't know that it's owed, but if you had some sort of intervention for a very common type of call that was not you had someone else you could call physical that force the as yeah. the first line of defense that would be great but also <laughs> there's, there's this idea of like funny. you also have to get rid of the cop in your mind like you have you have to like stop looking at everyone right, around where's you the a focus and actually like learn how to talk to people learn and this how is to their ask job them, are you okay they are the experts right. theoretically uh, so so it's not even about like would you be afraid in this situation and what would you think because they should be held even though they're not and so we're not trained to think about it like that they're held to a lower standard right. than we are but yeah. in theory they are the best ones to assess whether somebody is actually a threat because 
they're that much better at not feeling threatened and de-escalating and things like that. And yet... They should be. They right. should be, but they're not. But if this, the first thing that comes to your mind is call the police, that is a problem you need to fix inside yourself. Well, and it's challenging you need to figure out how to, like, in a way that um, I think we really can only address with uh, defunding, which again in practice means cutting down the budget um, or reallocating it, or with like retooling the departments because as a a young woman, I do understand that there are certain circumstances where you feel unsafe in public and that that is for a lot of people going to intersect. And I'm not somebody who calls the police, but I do understand the the internal conflict. I mean, my mom works at um, a hospital where there's a large um, mentally ill and homeless population and often people will follow her to her car. And yeah. So I understand that there is a need for a safety resource. And if you don't have easy other options to call, what do you do? And if you're not part of a minority community that doesn't, isn't really raised in the same world that sees that as a negative rather than a a protective thing, um, what do you do? It's a question of who gets to see the police as a safety yeah. measure and who gets who sees the who has to see the police and we have as to have an option for protection yeah. and for safety that is not um do i feel unsafe or do i risk making someone else unsafe because that's just that's a right. weighing that we shouldn't impose on anybody as a society yeah and, and i think that honestly <laughs> a, a big solution to a lot of this is requires a lot of work yeah. which is just like getting and to nuance. know your community it's not better. a black and white it's not like yeah. get rid of this or don't do this or do this it's going to yeah. Be work. It's going to be a lot of steps. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that like. Sustained work. Right. If someone's breaking into your house. Exactly. Th- that you're going to have a different reaction than if like, if again, you see someone who's maybe like clearly having some kind of mental health episode, calling the police doesn't help. Right. That. And we know that right. now. What other option do we have? And there are, there are other options actually. Like if you look into, That's there are a, good, a lot of we community should talk about resources. That, about like making yeah. those numbers more accessible so that if you do feel threatened, because that's the other thing, like beyond just humanitarian, I'm worried for this uh, mentally ill person's safety, which is a, a great concern in and of itself. But once it starts to intersect with your own well-being, potentially, in, and yeah. again, like you got to examine that sometimes, but like, I think you and I, Brooke, both know that, yeah, there are certain times when we're threatened as young women. There there are times when you're on your defensive. And again, I haven't been faced with having to call the police about this, but if it were to escalate, if any one of a number of encounters were to escalate a step farther, I, I would have to call someone. And it's yeah. not going to be, like, my mom. Yeah. So what do you do? So who, what resources are there? And there, there are resources, like... I know that in Brooklyn and Queens, there are, like, local um, crisis centers sure. that will, like, or even where is the line that may be able to, when you yeah, call the police may, may be able versus, to, like, come help. Like, when is it violent to the point that you actually do feel threatened, not just, like, I wonder what's happening. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just being a busybody who, yeah, yeah. yeah, calls the police at, or like, conflict the, avoidant the, a, in a way a that moment's notice, requires yeah. talking to your neighbors. But I think those are good things to think right. about in a practical sense, too. Um, no, absolutely. But, yeah. um, but I think that the ma- the main right, like the 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 uh, thing to underline here is that um, our society has like if if the only tool you have is a pu- is a is a punitive tool yes. that every 
then every problem is going to look and not like... even well applied punitive it just uh, you know so obviously right. racist and imbalanced and no checks on that system yeah if the only tool if you only if the only tool you have is a hammer then every nail that everything's gonna look like a nail mm-hmm. if the only tool you have is punitive then everything every solution is going to seem like it's going to be a punitive solution and instead we need to actually work on like the root causes mental mental oh health problems in communities That's, or causes I know poverty in communities or causes that. crime in communities and yeah. how we fix it rather than incarceration but uh, god right <laughs> i mean this is all internet but yeah. yeah and these are systemic problems that need to be that need to be changed from the ground up yes right but it's like we can also do that on a personal Absolutely. level keeping by... it in mind all the time not just now not just when it's cute to post stuff on social media right i think that like i'm glad that we're having this national conversation mm-hmm. and i think that like we will continue to it have that conversation on this podcast yeah, but um it's like it's way overdue and it's this it is a matter of like the reason why you see like these videos of like so-called karens mm-hmm. you know calling the cops on their neighbor selling water or like the the um amy cooper video where she's just in a she's just in the central park and she calls uh, the she's screaming i'm gonna tell them an african-american man is threatening my life because this man like t- told her to leash her dog up, you see these videos and you're like, "Wow, that woman's so ridiculous," and she is ridiculous. But then you have to you examine in yourself, like, is my first instinct to call nine one one whenever I feel like there's something that needs to be dealt with? And what are my you know, instincts-driven? Like, is it right? Because I think once you once you're evaluating instincts, you're already beyond, like, why do I feel threatened by this person versus this one? Am I actually threatened? Or is it me, like, speculating about worst-case scenario versus non-racism-affected interaction with a human on the street? Like, mm. Right. Like, you have to kind of examine that in yourself and then also examine, like, the societal, like, why why it's just built into... Why it's built into certain people that the solution to every problem is 911. The solution to every problem is calling the cops. And it's just like, that is... There's a non-confrontational what element some people to it, think. too. There's a, like... Yeah, yeah, I don't have to deal with that. I'm going to let somebody yeah. else deal and with it's, that. And it's a tough... I, I'm not going to pretend that it's not a tough analysis to make when you do think, like, every person that you interact with on the subway, you're weighing whether they're going to be crazy or not. You do have to keep your safety in mind, but also um, don't not bring it up to your neighbor who's being loud directly if you build relationships with people in your community you're going to be able to have those easier talks and you're going to know like oh whatever mr miss rogers doesn't wear pants in her house and sometimes she <laughs> is does? like wandering pacing in front of her window or like whatever like that's just who she wellness is like, check. if you see someone <laughs> wellness check if you see someone like you know who like likes to like whatever go through the recycling because she wants a certain bottle or whatever like i like, say oh, hi to the like, people who rifle through my trash that's mrs now. williams yeah hey what up mrs williams how you're and doing cities are like, different. That's so mrs. It's, williams. Like, it's all about having this right. critical thought and you know what now you guys all know if you do see ms rogers pacing without pants on call me if you reach see... out to me um i'll check in dm mckenzie mm-hmm. like if, if you see me just you know because i am like i am like a, i am an, just a frack a hair fraction away Truly, from just becoming a full blown galaxy brain conspiracy theorist oh, at this point. Um, <laughs> so definitely call just me. Prepare for. It. I mean, it's not. It's like it's not. It's not. It's like what is real? You know what I Honestly, mean? Honestly, like, open I'm your not eyes. An expert, open your so... eyes, sheeple. Um, but so when that happens, call Mackenzie. Yeah. There we go. What we know. Or t- DM. And Mackenzie. you know where She'll you can DM me as we head out. 
There um, we go. Perfect. Love it. Uh, so on Instagram, I'm MKZ Joy Brennan, and on Twitter, I am Get Me to a Num. I am Get Me to a Nunnery with the number two. Uh, on Instagram, I am at Brooke Angeline. On Twitter, I am at BKE Rogers. As always, we love to hear from you. Us. Thank you for listening. Google, look, listen, I'm telling you, Google Prince Charles Fingers. It's or don't if you want to keep also your dinner down. My new band. I mean, stay safe and stay safe. Like folks. I say to my cats, be good, be safe, be happy. I mean, all, all the things. Bye. Bye.